We talk and we talk and we talk some more this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? And we're live. Hey, everyone. Joe here for the first uh, Upper Memory Block podcast Patreon-sponsored group hangout session number one of awesomeness. Uh, <laughs> that was so a good intro. Oh, I'm amazing. You see that? See what happens when I, do, when I, when I work off, off script? I just do whatever. <laughs> so uh, there's four of us here right now, hoping that one or two more people are going to show up, but I uh, figured it was time to get... Rolling, so uh, as I've, as I already said, I'm Joe. I'm here. I host the show. You guys know me already. And uh, <laughs> so let's go around the room and just uh, have everyone give a quick little introduction of yourself and start with uh, Brian. I'm Brian. I go by HD Brian on all social medias. I've written it a few times. Uh, talked about wanting to send in voice recordings, but never been able to do it. So here I am. Might as well go 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 hard the first time. Forget about this voice recording. Let's just let's just do it live. There you go. Wonderful. Next we have Tomer. Uh, hi, I'm Tomer Gado. Um I'm a software engineer from Israel, uh, Tomer G on Twitter, if anyone wants to look me up, and uh, yeah, let's have some fun. I mean, Trolls was uh, all headbanging earlier uh, in the intro. <laughs> that so. was not. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm drinking, so yeah, we should have a fun show. And of course, the man that needs no introduction on this show, Trolls. <laughs> okay, uh, Hi. I'm Trolls, uh, the uh, Space Quest historian. I've uh, contributed a couple of times to uh, 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 Joe's podcast, and I also do my own stuff uh, as the Space Quest historian, and I also do this uh, uh, little lo-fi podcast with uh, Frederick Olson called The Backseat Designers. We had a season finale recently, which Joe was very kind enough to participate in. So uh, here I am returning the favor by you know spewing my shit all over his... See, I promised I wouldn't <laughs> We got about a two minutes in there, yeah. Yeah. Trolls, you ought to get a, a bottle of Hennifer or something out there, and uh, we should do it in an F-word drinking game whenever you <laughs> spit out the F-word. Uh, Joe, Joe, Joe said he'd have a swear jar for me. Exactly. He said I'll cancel the Patreon and we'll just run off of uh, off of, off of Trolls', Trolls swear jar. <laughs> it'll, it'll be huge. I mean, you, you, you can, like, move to Mexico for that. Woo! <laughs> All right, so I and actually, trolls. I do have to. I will take this opportunity to say that I had a really great time on uh, on that backseat designer oh, show. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun to talk to all the different people, and especially, I think I, I checked off my bucket list. I got to chat with Scott Murphy. Ooh, yeah, oh, he was awesome. kind enough to show. It was a he's, he's a cool guy. He's been on a lot of uh, Space Quest Superfan hangouts. Uh, there's a famous one where he actually falls asleep in the middle of it because uh, <laughs> he was up all night. And so, so one frame is just him just going, just lolling his head back. It is <laughs> wonderful. All right, so uh, I guess since uh, I decided since this is the first group hangout, we would uh, talk about firsts. So we'll uh, we'll have a little discussion here. I came up with a couple questions, and uh, you know we'll we'll take the conversation where where it will go. We don't have to go through the questions or anything like that. I want this to be all free flowing. But I figured we'd start with something uh, simple. What was uh, the first time you ever encountered gaming at all. And this doesn't have to be DOS. This doesn't have to be DOS or pre-Windows XP gaming era, anything like that. Uh, just the first time oh, there, you, have there, a, you have a memory of, of gaming. 
There were not enough pauses in that. Can can you do that again, please? The DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> now we have Joe on. Thank yeah. you. Oh, that, that made my evening. <laughs> so whoever right, wants so to, whoever wants to take it, go go nuts. It's hard to answer that because um, there's so many early memories, like Apple IIe's at school. Like I think it was even first grade when I first played the brand new to Apple IIe Oregon Trail. Yeah. And I think that was like oh, 85. Yeah. Um, also, you know, showbiz playing like Pac-Man and Qbert. But I also have a very unique experience. My mom was into some of those basic games. Um, she had a Pong console. That you hooked cool. up your TV, and all it played was Pong. You know, and then of course I was big into Nintendo. Friends, and, you know, playing Nintendo at friends' house and stuff like that. Awesome. Oh, I remember the Pong console. Uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd did a did an episode on the Pong consoles, uh, <laughs> yes. which, were, which was hilarious. And and those those things barely did anything. I mean, they only worked half the time you plugged them in, right? Yes. Yeah. I'll just pop in here. It's like I mean, right? Akago has has arrived, so that that succeeded. We just started, so you haven't missed. You it's haven't working. Missed. Okay. Yeah, and actually, why don't you? Uh, we went around and did a, a quick little uh, little intro. So why don't you do do yours? Just give us a little, you know, one or two lines about uh, about yourself, where we can find you online, if you got any projects, anything like that. About me? Well, I am Tommy Akago. I do uh, videos on YouTube, and I have a blog, which I originally started. Uh, to chronicle my attempt to finish 100 games in my collection before buying any new ones. And it's awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Honestly, I've, I've wasted work days just reading through that thing. I mean, boss Thanks. comes over, I have to alt-tab out of the window and get back to work. Well, don't you have a boss key and whatever it is you're using? <laughs> the alt-tab oh, is my boss key. <laughs> alt-tabs into an Excel document with nothing in it. No, I was just starting. No, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> it's, uh, this is not the backseat designers. <laughs> it's funny, actually, considering uh, the topic of this hangout. Uh, the most recent video I actually put out on my YouTube was about my very first game that I ever played, which was King's Quest Three. Cool. Yeah, you might might as well might as well take that and roll with it. Yeah, uh, like going around the uh, table uh, talking about the first game. First, or, yeah, first gaming memories. Yeah. So let's 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 roll with that. Tell us a little bit about your your first experiences playing King's Quest Three. Well, I'm probably gonna have to uh, start off by saying that my memories of this period are really, really, really fuzzy. It was a hell of a time to try to piece everything together for my uh, review initially. So, but the earliest I remember is we, uh, my parents, had this IBM PC and we had a whole bunch of pirated games for it, like. Where we used to copy games from our neighbors all the time. <laughs> so we had a bunch of uh, simple little DOS games. Uh, I was born in 87, but we had a bunch of games that were older than that, looking at uh, the dates that they came out. Although they may as well have come out later uh, where we live. I'm in the Netherlands, in case you okay. didn't know. And it's my understanding that games usually came out a bit later here than they did in the rest of the world, or in the U.S. at least. So we had a bunch of games like... I remember we had Pango, we had Paratrooper, uh, Alley Cat. Oh, yeah. And, as I mentioned, King's Quest Three, which was probably one of the more complex games we owned and my first exposure to point-and-click. Not real point-and-click, but graphic Pseudo point-and-click. Point right? Arrow key destroying... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Arrow key and keyboard in general destroying, yeah. <laughs> Did anyone ever? Because I've 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 watched people play King's Quest Three and trying to get down the 
effing mountain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, that doesn't go in the square jar. People always people always use the arrow keys, uh, you know, like on, on the old standard DOS uh, keyboard, where you have the arrow keys under the insert page yeah. down uh, sort of thing. People never think to use the uh, uh, numpad. Yeah, where you can actually go diagonally. Yeah, we uh, we didn't figure that out ourselves at first either. So we just uh, clumsily used the arrow keys, you know, going up the staircase, and you had to alternately uh, alternate between pushing up, right, up, right, up, right, up, right. <laughs> actually, the funny thing about that is, uh, as far as I can recall, actually, on the on the really early like IBM PCs, um, at least if I remember correctly, the one I started off with. Uh, there actually wasn't an arrow pad to begin with, so you had to use the, the numpad anyway. I think the arrows were only added in like either the IBM AT or the PS2 or or at some point uh, oh, around that. Be. So yeah, I which think, is why. Uh, or, oh, sorry. Uh, I think RPC uh, keyboard, the first one we had, already came with the uh, extra arrows. So. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember my really old, before I really got into gaming, Apple II, and I think the Apple II also had, like, a very condensed... It wasn't, you know, the yeah. standard 101 key keyboard. And no, uh, yeah, it was a, a very limited keyboard, probably, like, 64, 65 keys or something on the Apple II. Um, the, the funny thing about this whole uh, numpad, aeropad thing is that uh, my early gaming experiences were on an IBM PC that did not have uh, the arrow keys, so actually... Even today, uh, on a full keyboard, if I play any game that supports it, I use the numpad, <laughs> even to this day. And I probably couldn't even play Doom, you know, on the arrow keys. It just doesn't make sense. You just no. can't do it. No. <laughs> I think I'd rather, you know. And also, you know, just the, walking down the stairs, you said it was like a up, down, no, no, down, right, down, right. For me, it was down right F5 for safe. Down right F5. <laughs> Every right time you didn't fall. Yeah. And I guess the other thing about King's Quest 3, you know, which was kind of both genius and incredibly frustrating, was that timer. Mm. My God. Yeah. Well, at the, at the time we were just, at the time we were just kind of content, just uh, kind of derping around the house for the most part because we, well, me and my brother, we didn't speak a lick of English yet at the time. Especially me, because I was like three years old when I first played it, mm -hmm. and I, I'm Dutch, obviously, so English wasn't my first language. Right, so it was just more a question of mucking around, doing things, and figuring out what you could do in the house without having to figure out kind of the, the overarching storyline, and I, I get that. Like, I, mm. I've gotten stories on the show over and over again from different people, especially when I cover earlier Sierra Adventures and Parser games. Over and over, people would just say, you know, this is how I learned English. This is how I learned English, because, you know, you yeah, have to figure yeah, out yeah. how to That's type exactly things. how it was for me, too. Yeah, this will come into play when Blame. I get my uh, early memory uh, thing mm. out of the way. Okay, well, how about, go for it, Trolls. Oh, really? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, my earliest memory, I was born in 1980 in Denmark, uh, and I still live in Denmark. Uh, the accent is uh, the freak uh, side effect of me having been an exchange student in the United States uh, in 90, 1997 to 1998. So I picked oh. up this stupid accent and it won't go away. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and people constantly confuse me for being an American, um, which I think is very nice of them. But uh, anyway, digressing, junior <laughs> high. Um, uh, my earliest memories were uh, of the... Uh, um, my dad is an electrical engineer, so there was always a lot of... Uh, 
uh, you know, wires and print boards and shit lying around his uh, his uh, basement. Uh, so he actually built us a tiny little computer with some LED lights on it, uh, which had half a um, half a keyboard, like uh, the first you know, all the letters A to M, and he nice. programmed in this kind of Wheel of Fortune type thing. It had a, little, a tiny little LED display, one line that would sort of uh, you know uh, letters would come out, and you'd have to you know guess guess the word. But it only had the letters A to M, so it was kind of uh, rudimentary. And then around, I think, 86 or 7, he bought our first computer, which was a Commodore 64, uh, which was huge in Europe. Um, the Commodore 64 was based pretty much, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm going to say it was pretty much every Scandinavian child in the 80s' uh, first computer, if it wasn't the Commodore Amiga. Um, so we had a t a tons of tons of fun with that one. Um, didn't play much of adventure games on it. I had like the Fantastic Four adventure game. If anyone remembers that, I don't think no I've one, ever heard. I of know that. of it. Quest no, Pro it, featuring it, the Human Torch and the Thing. Exactly, and it was from the same I line. Could, it also had Spider Man and the Hulk. Yeah. It was weird because it, it was one of those really early graphic adventure games where you, there weren't no animation and you couldn't like walk a character around the screen. It was just like a uh, like a little bit of graphic and then a text parser. And so it more like not, a mystery house style. Exactly. Yeah, and it would yeah. not understand anything I would type into it. And and the, the first part of the game was you walk out of a door and if you go right, you're in a swamp and you start sinking slowly and you just go get out of the swamp. Why won't you get out of the swamp? After <laughs> this game, and then I just I just turn off the machine. Um, it's funny. It's funny you should mention that. I was actually reading up about the uh, the Hulk game in that same line where yesterday, and <laughs> that yeah, the, the those games are just freaking weird. Because I gotta check these out. I've never heard of these before in my life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The thing is, you play as the Hulk in one of these, but you don't smash anything. <laughs> He's a kinder, tensler Hulk. <laughs> yeah, because apparently if you try to smash anything, the game will tell you, no, you're too nice for that. <laughs> and there's a scene where there's a scene where you have to get past some giant ants. If you uh, don't do anything to protect yourself, they will crawl into your eyes and kill you. <laughs> you have to so you have to close your eyes, but then they'll crawl into your nose. So you hold your nose, they'll crawl into your ears. This is freaky. Yeah. Like a lovely game for kids, uh, especially considering it's trying to not be violent with the <laughs> smashing stuff. <laughs> oh, interesting! Interesting side note. Um, uh, Ken Allen and I. Uh, Ken's the uh, musician. He was the Sierra musician who did the soundtrack for Space Quest Four and such. Um, he, he's actually, he's a really cool guy. Um, and uh, he, he came to visit me um, a, a year ago or so, and he just off the cuff mentioned that he designed a Ringworld game, and this is going into the future a bit. It was 1994, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, and uh, and uh, just yesterday, or I think this morning, he wrote, uh, he wrote on Twitter that, uh, I think my game was the first that allowed you to switch between characters uh, in a game. And uh, I think, actually, it was Amiro, if it wasn't uh, uh, someone else who went, oh, there was this uh, game called Big Mansion. Me, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, uh, the Fantastic Four game was perhaps the very first one that let you do that, because you could switch between, uh, you start out as the thing, and then you can switch to the Human Torch, and okay. none of it does, does jackfuck. But, um, it does, you, change your, your, you vaguely change your avatar, basically. Yeah, or you just change location, and the, the human horse is just standing there watching the, the thing slowly drown. <laughs> <It's just done>. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
anyway, moving on, my dad uh, then uh, uh, bought a 386 IBM PC, um, which must have been around 87 or 88. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, I was in grade school back then. I don't know, grade, yeah, the equivalent of grade school in, in Denmark. Um, and a friend of mine sat uh, there and played uh, Space Quest 2, which was the uh, first the first IBM PC game I ever played. Um, the story, uh, briefly digressing, junior high again, uh, the first time I actually saw an IBM PC, I didn't have one. Uh, my parents were going to a party with uh, friends, and the, you know, the, the time where the adults sit in the living room and drink red wine, and they have to put their kids somewhere. So they stuck me in front of this, uh, I think it, was, it might have been a 286, and it had Space Quest 2 on it. And coming from coming from the Commodore 64, which had a lot of, uh, you know, hacker intros and uh, mm -hmm. pirated games, obviously, where you had this uh, scrolling intro and stuff, I immediately assumed that Space Quest 2 was, you know, kind of a tech demo thing. Because uh, I didn't realize that you could walk up the walls and into the uh, you know spinning thing that takes you into the airlock. So I just I just spent you know the entire four hours we were there just walking around the first screen, coming. This is nice. Uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't actually get out of it. Uh, then later, my my dad buys this uh, 386, and my friend from school we sit there and play Space Quest 2, following a walkthrough that we printed out on this old dot matrix printer, which had the exact uh, phrases that you had to type in. Wow. And uh, of course, like uh, Amirat said, uh, we were we were Danes. We didn't speak very good English. Uh, I was eight at the time, uh, so um, that's pretty much how we learned. Uh, you know, rub berries on body and stuff. We would go to school and be very proud that we knew the phrase "rub berries on body," and everyone was like, "What does that mean?" Um, that's how you escape swamps, apparently. Yeah, that's the that's the password. That's the password to escape swamps. Yes. Ken sent me. So that was that was my first uh, my first gaming experience, and of course you know piracy. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, lots of the only games I I owned that uh, legitimately for the Commodore 64 were like, uh, like three or four games, and then I had like a hundred games on floppy disks that I just copied from friends. Hi yeah. FBI, how you doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> another another reason we couldn't get anywhere in Kings Quest Three at the time was because we obviously didn't have the manual, so we couldn't right. finish any of the magic spells. Uh, pretty much, yeah. pretty much uh, like trolls. We had a ton of pirated games and a couple of legit ones. I remember we had, actually, I still have right here in my room the uh, Larry One, Two, and Three collection, and we also got uh, King's Quest Four legitimately. Cool. And that was box. that was a big thing, like actually getting a box with a box you could put on the shelf, and it had color manual and it had floppy disks with uh, you know printed labels on it instead of somebody scrawling handwriting. <laughs> yeah, there you there go. Well, how about you, Tomer? Uh, well, my first gaming experience. Actually, I, I was a bit privileged in that uh, my dad owned a an Atari twenty six hundred or VCS, whatever you want to call it, like the original Atari console. Did it have? Was it the one with the wood paneling on it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. one of the original ones with the wood paneling. Indeed, uh, the the six switch version. I think mm -hmm. literally the original version. Uh, I mean, he probably bought it like either in 79 or 1980, whatever. Um, so I, I was born in 1983. Um, so I think my first gaming experience was with that when I was like three years old, probably. That's my earliest memories. And uh, the funny anecdote about that with regards to piracy, which is something that inevitably comes up in any like uh, <laughs> retro gaming, nostalgia, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and everyone just kind of nods and smiles, and, you know. 
Like, um, we know, we know. Yeah, high <laughs> FBI. So uh, the funny thing about that is, uh, I, I don't know where he got that, but uh, actually a lot of our Atari uh, cartridges were um, kind of pirated in that we actually had some uh, original cartridges, but we also had this weird-ass cartridge that was actually just a printed circuit board, and you had a socket on it, and we had a cardboard next to it with a whole bunch of, uh, uh, I think it's EEPROM chips, and uh, a friend of my dad's would bring a burner with a whole bunch of cartridges every, you know, every few weeks, and we just basically burned ROMs uh, of pirated games for the VCS, so that was also, I think, my... Uh, First exposure to game piracy. Um, oh, that's, like, that's hardcore. <laughs> that yeah. is, yeah. I was gonna say that is hardcore. I mean, I was sitting <laughs> yeah. there with like, two disc drives, going, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being so awesome." You were sitting there with a fucking soldering iron. Going, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe my dad was. I, I certainly wasn't uh, that age. But uh, yeah, um, but then that was my first gaming experience. My first. Then there's, you know, we're on first. So there's also my first computer experience. My first PC experience. And they're all, you know, kind of discrete events over a period of uh, about two years. Oh yeah, and we'll um, get to, we'll get to those two. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, and I know. On, I yeah, and I know. I know. I, I asked a bit more about the twenty six hundred because that's that and the Apple II are probably my earliest memories. And again, because you know, I was I was born in eighty one, and I don't know. Don't I, tell I, me I'm the oldest one here. Well, only very slightly. Okay. <laughs> I was born in 78, so... There you go. Okay, there we go. Ryan wins. Oh, damn. Oh. <laughs> Ta-da. But, uh, yeah, so I, I have, I have a, a brother that's five years older than me, so, you know, we had a couple things before I kind of came of age. And uh, the only real memories yeah, I have... <laughs> the only real memories I have of, of the Atari were uh, Defender, playing a lot of Defender, and for some reason, looking at the the uh, the box art and being scared of it, and I'm not sure why. Like, I read there's like, a, there's like a, a lady on it, there's like a building or something. It's all very vague, and I don't remember why I was afraid of it, but I was. And we had this other game, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was basically a space sim, and it actually had like a little breakout box that had, I think, maybe nine buttons on it. So you controlled the ship with the with the with the uh, the Atari joystick, and then you also had this little breakout box where you could like I can't remember if it was like go to hyperspace or do other things like Sounds that. Sounds like Space War, although I don't know if there's any like it's probably a very specific game, might be a variant thereof, but it does sound like a lot like Space War. Yeah, it, it may very well be. I, I have no memory of the name of it, and most importantly, we had ET. Oh, and I, no. <laughs> and I played E.T., and even at the time when I was, like, four or five years old, six years old, whatever, however old I was when we still had it, probably, yeah, probably more four or five, three to four kind of a thing. At that time, as a small child, I knew this was a horrible game because I had no idea what to do. <laughs> uh, E.T. anecdote. Um, back in the day when I was still kind of building up my uh, retro collection, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, um, oh, well, Back, I gave most of it away, uh, but I still hold on to a few things. But back when I was still building it, someone the game was so shitty and was so widely available that someone actually um, agreed to just, with no like compensation or anything, just basically take the cartridge, put it in the box, take the box, and just mail it to me in Israel. 
all the way from the United States for no charge just to get rid of it. It was that bad. <laughs> Please take this thing away from me. I will mail it across the world. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Piece of crap, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I guess the other... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did you have that uh, Pac-Man abomination? Oh, yeah, that sucked as well. <laughs> but combat was awesome. Combat was great. We, we didn't have it, but I think I think I remember playing it. Yeah, and Atlantis. There's a whole slew of uh, pretty good 2600 games if you're into yeah, that sort yeah. of. Yeah, we didn't have. We probably had more than I remember. I just I the only memories I have were were Defender and that space game and ET, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, um, my other one really that happened at the same time was the Apple II. And I actually I actually remember. Someone, my, my father bringing home the Apple II and setting it all up, and you know it was all very serious, and I couldn't use it because you know my father was a programmer. It's a serious computer. Very serious, very serious <laughs> business that Apple II. But eventually we got games for it, and the only game I really remember playing on it was Trolls Tale. That's the Sierra game, right? Was it by? I thought it was by Broderbund, or at least it was published by Broderbund. I thought. Anyone remember? That's the gra- graphic adventure game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you basically there wasn't really a goal to the game aside from finding treasures, and every once in a while the troll would randomly sure show up. An early Sierra title. It may have been. Could, couldn't you play it in a Sierra game? Just, well, uh, it's included in the Space Quest 2 VGA remake. Yeah. There you go. It is a Sierra game. It is a Sierra game. I just uh, did a quick look up on Mobby Games, and yeah. Well, then that was my first Sierra game. I didn't even know. For some reason, I thought Broderbund made it. No, they made good games. Well, some of them. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's true. In uh, in Space Quest 2 VGA, there's a there's an Easter egg. The unofficial VGA remake that uh, IQ Adventures that uh, you can play uh, a sort of Trolls Tale parody um, when you go into Volhall's asteroid, um, which is uh, I I have never played the original, but I'm pretty sure this is uh, uh, as close to the original as possible. You walk around, pick shit up, and then someone comes along and steals it from you, and then you go around and pick it all up again. Yep, basically, because, yeah, I remember, because I played I played the IQ Adventures SQ2 remake, and I, I very specifically, once I found out you could play Trolls Tale, I said, I gotta go in and play this, because I have to see if it's the way I remember it, and, you know, fine, maybe my memory was a bit flawed, but it seems like it was pretty spot on. Well, yeah, so I, I had no Steven. idea it was even a real game when I played the remake, like... I just uh, found this weird arcade machine on Vol's Asteroid, and I was like, what the hell is this? Okay, it's <laughs> a game inside of the game. Exactly, that, that, was, my, so that was my whatever. reaction, too. I, I, was, I was just thinking, what, what is this a parody of? And I felt like an idiot when I looked it up online and went, oh... It's a thing! <laughs> yeah. That, that happens to me a lot. Awesome. So I know we've talked about it a bit already, but I guess the the, the next question I was going to talk about was what was the first DOS game you remember explicitly playing or that you have, you know, relevant... It doesn't need to be the first one, but one that you have, you know, very early specific memories of. That, that'd be Ali Cat, definitely. Yeah. Mm. That one. Um, that game was beautiful. fucking trippy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the F word. Cheers. So I don't really know Ali Cat. Tell me about it a little bit. Well, um, no. it's an early, a very early DOS game uh, from '83, I think. I'll, I'll look it up and let you know. Sure. Um, it was written by uh, just one guy, um, whose name for I IBM, oh, right. Bill Williams. Yeah, for IBM originally. Uh, it, it actually, I think the original version was actually for the Atari uh, 400 XL, mm-hmm. and it looks just a little bit different. Um, 
in some ways a little bit better, but I prefer the PC version. Um, it was you know, a bigger game. Gorgeous. What's that? Uh, the P the PC version had these gorgeous CGA graphics where oh, you, you go yeah. in, go into someone's room. Fantastic for its time. Have to avoid the dog in, inside this uh, room or the uh, the broom inside of the rooms and it's th these very garish purple curtains and stuff. It's absolutely. The broom in the room. The broom in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was, so I was actually right about the year. It's 1983. Uh, it was a booter game, which was pretty unusual um, and very short-lived era for PC gaming. Um, and it was just absolutely a fantastic game. You basically play a cat and you wreak havoc. Like, your whole purpose in life is to eat fish out of aquariums, um, <laughs> eat rats out of cheese, uh, drink the dog's milk without waking it up, um, get rid of spiders and stuff, and uh, uh, how shall I put this? Procreate. Aha! Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is... And it's tough as tits, too. I mean, you, you start out in the alley, hence the title, the alley cat, and you're supposed to jump into uh, people's windows, and every time you jump into a window, uh, unless they throw you out, of course, uh, then you, you enter this little mini-game thing, and it's either yeah. avoid the broom and then not shit or um, jump the fishbowl, which, it, by the way, is the biggest fishbowl I've ever seen. It fills <laughs> the entire screen. Yeah, um, that's what I was about to say. Like, you... You see the fishbowl, it's just a tiny little fishbowl on a table, but when you jump into it, it's like the size of an ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So it's, it's a very realistic game is what I'm trying to say. Uh, yes. Especially in that cats are, well, cats are assholes. Um, <laughs> I know, I have one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, but they're assholes. Um, yeah, so I mean, the game was, I would probably, um, ahead of its time on several uh, several levels, uh, one of the kind of sad things about it is that it, the author, uh, Bill Williams, had, I think it was cystic fibrosis and actually died uh, at a very early age, like 30-something. Um, that was probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, and it's a crying shame because he was really, really just massively talented. He did an amazing job in a very early game. Brian, are you trying to break in there with something or...? I was just saying that the I was thinking about the CGA graphics when you're talking about those colors, and I pulled up a screenshot, and my first computer was CGA graphics, and that was every game had those four colors. But that awful oh, like magenta e pink whatever. Yeah, and then no, cyan, magenta cyan, uh, magenta cyan, red Black and, and white. white, I think. Black and white, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or there's alternative palettes which are even more horrible, like. Gr muddy green, brown, uh, red, and black. And it, I mean, it all looked like shit, but the games were great, so who cares? <laughs> well, the thing is, it, yeah, now we look back and it looked like shit, but when, you know, we looked at it then, it was awesome. There was co there were colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I remember you know, before my... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say shit was moving on the screen. You, you had to follow it. it was exactly. Exciting. Yeah. Um, I remember for uh, for my first uh, you know for uh, the first 386 we had we also had a copy of Deluxe Paints the uh, utility oh, um, the graphics yeah. utility for uh, you know uh, that Sierra Online used uh, uh, as far up as uh, I think Gabriel Knight in 1993 it was like, a really versatile Amir um, <laughs> Hakikado yawning at me um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, Deluxe Paint was the go-to. Uh, drawing tool on the Amiga for years and years, and you know some of the most amazing early graphics done on a computer uh, right. was done with it. So you know it has its yeah. place in history. 
Yeah, and you could you could boot that thing up in different color modes because um, we were fortunate enough that our first uh, computer had a VGA uh, graphics adapter card. Mm -hmm. But I love to sit around and tinker with it and and just boot it up in uh, you know CGA and it let you select which uh, CGA palette you wanted. Do you want this nauseating palette or this nauseating palette? <laughs> uh, and it would go as as high as uh, as uh, you know EGA 640 by 480. And I was just sitting there going, I can barely see the pixels. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> High res. Yeah, exactly. Back in the days of 14-inch CRTs. And it, exactly. it would also boot in either either uh, MCGA or VGA, which to my uh, you know to, to my untrained eye was exactly the same thing. And I've never to this day I, I think Joe commented in one of his podcasts uh, what the actual difference is, but that's the first time I ever figured out what the hell is the difference between those two. If I remember right, I think MCGA was like a tandy thing. Uh, no, no, it or was uh, an IBM thing from the PS2 stuff. Oh, right, that's okay. it. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the pedant uh, history buff in the audience, so just shut me up if I ramble. No, no, we no. need you. We need we you. Need, it's very important. See, I when I when I go on the show and I say all this stuff and it's like very accurate or whatever, that's because I've done I've gone somewhere and I've read it and I checked it somewhere else. Like I don't know most of the stuff off the top of my head, so please. <laughs> oh, but sure. you do know the definition to most genres. Ever and I, I cannot recount how many times you've gone. Well, an adventure game is, <laughs> <laughs> and no one's ever called me out on those, so I'm glad. I guess I'm being somewhat accurate at least. Oh, they were. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Brian? It's sound, uh, accurate enough to me. Yeah, I uh, I occasionally find like small things to nitpick uh, on your show, but it's generally just really well researched. So I mean, if someone like uh, uh, Jim Leonard or myself tells you that they only find found a few points to nitpick on, then that's a, that's a pretty high praise, I guess. Well, I thank you very much. Oh, and, and speaking of yeah, well-researched uh, episodes, well-researched episodes, the uh, episode you did on uh, early access software games um, was fantastic because uh, I remember one of the early games I had for the uh, 386 was uh, Lynx 386. Yes. Which, which would boot up, and this was before we got a sound card, so we only had the PC speaker. And it would boot up, and it would play digital sound. And I was like, oh my god, where's this coming from? I had no idea what the hell real sound was. All I knew it was, was that it made the computer stutter as hell. And, yeah. and I had no idea how it worked. And then your show uh, explains to me what the hell real sound actually was. And it was basically, you know, the Commodore 64, if you, like, really squeezed it, you could also get digital sound out of the SID chip. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you um, know, for the speaker, badly. I was just... And uh, just just to uh, just to uh, complete the train of thought, um, at the time I also had you know um, delusions that I would one day be a musician. So uh, I had, I'd seen my uh, my friend's older brother tinker around with his Amiga, and he had uh, like a, uh, what's it called, Fast Tracker or something. Mm -hmm. and, pro uh, Tracker, probably. Pro Pro Tracker, yeah. And uh, the equivalent on the IBM PC, and one that I got for the 386 was uh, Scream Tracker by a Future oh. Crew, Scream Tracker, oh. Scream Tracker Two, yeah, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I sat around and, and diddled with that a lot. And uh, at the time, only had a PC speaker, and it had four channels of digital audio that you could sit and tinker around with. And it sounded atrocious. And <laughs> especially after I got my first sound card, I would load up some of the modules I'd done on the PC speaker and just go, what the fuck is this noise? <laughs> uh, but it sounded good on the PC speaker, or, well, somewhat good. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh... But since you mentioned it, we actually uh, also had another golf game by Access called World Class Leaderboard. Of course, 
I didn't know the title at the time. I always just called it Golf. Golf, right. <laughs> but I distinctly remember it had some uh, good real sound uh, voice samples as well. And I always got a chuckle out of hearing the guy go, looks like he hit the tree, Jim. <laughs> Whenever you hit a, hit a ball against the tree. In terms of uh, digital sound, I think the earliest uh, game with digital sound I've ever played I was originally going to say Mach 3 uh, by Laricio on the PC, but I think it was actually before that, it was Barbarian, uh, a.k.a. Death Sword, where uh, as it loads up, it goes, Barbarian, and that's pretty much it, because, well, the game was the good kind of shitty, um, right? basically (laughs) shitty. (laughs) So what's the good kind of shitty? Um, the kind that you know it's shitty, but you know, well, guilty pleasure. Okay, it's the the gamer's version of guilty pleasure. It's like watching Friends. Right. The I like how I really is a guilty pleasure. There you go. Hey, I really Harder love playing Euro, Euro Truck Simulator 2 right now, so that's my guilty pleasure. I like driving Goat a truck simulator. simulator 2014 is my bag. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I remember Barbarian because, uh, like you said, it it had digital speech, and I had the C64 version. And for those of you who don't know, Barbarian is the first controversial video game of all time because it was one of those violent games where you could lob somebody's head off, and then this little dwarf dude in a frog costume would come in and kick <laughs> yes. his head off the screen. <laughs> but awesome. The, uh, <laughs> the Commodore 64 version also had Barbarian, the intro, but it was more like, Barbarian! <laughs> oh, well, the PC kind of sounded like that as well, I think. Yeah. See, that always um, reminded me of Blades of Steel on the NES. You'd start it up and it would be like, Blades of Steel! (laughs) (laughs) And it was amazing! My Nintendo was talking to me! Yeah, that was incredible. I think that's the first time I ever had heard my Nintendo talk to me. Critical interrupt. Uh, Has anyone else here had Adam, the demo Adam, on the PC back in the day? We're talking like 1988 IBM PC XT, a small executable that you'd run and it'd play... um, Part of that song, I don't remember what the song's name is, but the line is, forever and ever you'll stay in my heart and I will love you. Hmm, I never had that demo. Is that spelled okay, A-D-E-M? Okay. Is that spelled uh, no, Adam, like A-M? A-T-O-M. A-T-O-M. Like an yeah. atom. Yeah, I, I can't no, remember. I don't think which I've ever heard of that one. That out. Okay, um, look it up if you have the time. It's, it's an interesting mm. bit of history. Since you mentioned Mach 3 earlier, I actually played that game a lot as well as a kid, and that game had the awesomest like uh, intro theme music I had ever heard at the time. Like, yeah, yeah just really. It was it was kind of a short, but it's really rocking kind of intro theme through the PC speaker, like uh, guitars and everything. I'm going to post a link to YouTube so you can actually hear it if you like. Cool. I think, yeah, here it is. And it's a very short um, sample in on a loop. Like, it's 10, 15 seconds or something like that, and it loops over and over again. Uh, but for the time, that was just brilliant. That was just awesome. Oh, yeah, um, this is rocking. I've, I've wanted to hear a remix of that song or a remix or a cover or whatever for that of that song for the longest time but no one's ever made one get ready for mac 3 
but I, yeah. I also I also remember this tune. It was it was really that was cool. That and the Lynx 386 theme music, uh, which I think they stole, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> one in a, another one I discovered in recent years for the Atari ST, a game called Star Glider, had another short kind of intro uh, loop where it would just go Star Glider. <laughs> <laughs> It's over like Daytona except in the 80s. That is amazing. Oh, and so, just to finish uh, it's up stuff the, like that that really makes me regret missing out on all the other home computers and systems that were out at the time. I only ever had PC when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I developed a crush on uh, alternative platforms, and especially the Amiga, years and years later. And uh, mm. actually, it took me... Amigas were damn rare in Israel. Um, hardly anyone had them. And it took me five years from when I was about 11 uh, to actually manage to find one to add to my collection in Israel. And then cool. it took me two months. Um, and we're talking, what is it, 1998 or 9? So a lot of the stuff that you can find today just wasn't around back then. I mean, even if you had internet access. Mm -hmm. It took me over two months uh, to write a uh, some sort of hackish serial uh, file transfer thing in uh, Commodore Basic to get a driver for the version of the OS that I had that could read a disk image in ADF format uh, mm -hmm. and then just regenerate it on the Amiga as a proper disk. And then I could get a newer OS. I kind of bootstrapped through it. It took me two months. It was worth every freaking minute. Well, Damn, that's, that's the challenge. Dedication. Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, right? Because you can't just go, oh, I need this version of the OS. Let me go download it and put it on a well, disk. And nowadays you can. Nowadays it's easy. Yeah. Uh, well, especially if you have I mean, the money. Amiga is definitely the system I would want to own uh, in the present day. Yeah, like I never, I never had one, and I always, I don't even think, all my friends all had PCs as well, but whenever now I go back and I do research on something, and I see, like, you know, the, the PC version, and then I see the Amiga version. The Amiga version just looks, like, way more awesome. That's kind of <laughs> ironic. It has, it, has three, it has 32 colors. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, most of the, yeah. most of the old uh, uh, IBM PC games, uh, of at least the uh, mid to late 80s, uh, had EGA graphics, uh, if, if that, at, at 16 colors. And the Amiga versions all, always had 32 colors. Mm -hmm. So you'd sit there and go, oh, this looks so much better. Oh, but then I have to pilot it with a joystick if I don't have an Amiga mouse. So right. that's the one-up that the uh, PC always had. And also, I remember... Fate of Atlantis uh, coming out for uh, for the for the PC the uh, early nineties. What was it, ninety three or something? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I, I remember playing it uh, on you know on the PC and going, this is awesome. Uh, and then I look at the uh, uh, reviews for the Amiga version, and everyone just goes, well, the game is very pretty, but my God, it slows down a lot. <laughs> Apparently, that was around the time LucasArts realized. Dude, we can't do Amiga versions for our games anymore. It just doesn't yeah. work. And it came on like twenty floppy disks or something. Right. Oh god. Yeah. Well, yeah, in, I remember that uh, Sierra had a lot of problems uh, porting their games to Amiga as well, from what I had heard. Like I don't think King's Quest V even ever came out on that system. King's Quest Six they had to farm out to oh. Revolution to port it to Amiga. You need to put things in the correct historical perspective. Um, Fate of Atlantis came out in 92. Uh, if I remember correctly, it required a 286 with VGA graphics. Uh, Amigas basically had uh, the same kind of hardware platform from 85 when the first one came out 
till uh, 92, I think, when the yeah. uh, AGA architecture was uh, put forth. And Commodore went out of business in 94. So, you know, it, it was a pretty short-lived platform. And um, especially if you can contrast Amiga ports to PC games or, or PC ports in the late 80s, uh, typically Amiga is just so much more advanced that it's not even funny to do the comparison. <laughs> and, uh, in the early yeah. 90s, PCs were finally starting to catch up. So, you know, from that point on, it's it's fair to say that, you know, Amiga ports in the early to mid-90s started sucking ass because, well, they did. I mean, the, well, I the, mean, the, the machine, was the machine wasn't moving forward. So, I mean, yeah, the technology yeah. platform wasn't there. Yeah, but if you can, uh, if you want to take a, a canonical example, uh, contrast Defender of the Crown on PC... Uh, which is a 1986 game, uh, and I, I think actually the PC version came out later in 1987. But you compare it to the Amiga version, it's you know it's it's just worlds apart, and that's actually uh, one of the one of the aspects of my early gaming memories was uh, one of her neighbors had an Amiga, and it was the only one I've ever seen in Israel till till I was like 16. Uh, so I was a bit lucky to have experienced it, and I always had up until like '93 with with a, a powerful 386 and you know VGA and Sound Blaster and CD-ROM. Up until that point, I had a massive uh, kind of inferiority complex complex <laughs> with regards to PC games because, let's face it, they were technically inferior because you just couldn't do as much with the with the platform. Um, but yeah, I mean, early Amiga games were were just Absolutely amazing, technically. I I had Defender of the Crown for the Commodore 64, and it it's it, it looked like ass as well. I've I've seen the PC version; yeah. it probably looks the most ass, and the <laughs> music was also ass. Uh, but the uh, the the Commodore 64 it, it had one thing that uh, <laughs> the Commodore 64 had one thing that all the others didn't have, and it was the SID chip, the SID chip. So the yeah. music. For the uh, for the defender of the crown uh, on the uh, Commodore 64, which is so amazingly good. I would I would um, agree with you conceptually because I love the SID chip and I love a lot of uh, C64 music. But defender of the crown specifically, if you want to hear what the Amiga version sounded like, let me post you a link to that so you can. Oh, I've I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. <laughs> it's and it is good. Kind of what the C64 could could do back in the day. Uh, well, the, they still the, did the best job they could on the PC version with the 16 colors and all. I mean, it still looks decent enough. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, there was a, a CGA 4 color and an EGA 16 color version. Hmm. Uh, and the EGA version, to my eyes, actually looks not as good comparatively. <laughs> like, it gives you more color, but it also uh, makes the fact that it doesn't look as good as the, the original version uh, that much more obvious. So I prefer the original. Uh, yeah, but they they still worked with what they had. So yeah, yeah, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, that was the, that was a lot of the the point during during all of this time is you know you worked with the hardware that you had and a lot of it was unfortunately limited. <laughs> but yeah, so and I guess moving on, we we started mentioning um, of CD-ROMs. So let's jump mm-hmm. a little bit forward in time and talk about our first uh, experience. Ooh. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Can I real quick? I mean, I. With uh, five people here, it's hard to... Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I, didn't, absolutely. I didn't actually get to talk about my first PC game, and I, nobody's brought this up yet, but you know, my mom got... Uh, the first PC was in 8086, and I'd found shareware discs at random like flea markets and stuff where they you know 
kind of had printed labels, and they were all, you know, all that, sh- that whole shareware revolution mm-hmm. that uh, happened. And a lot of the, the first games I played all were ASCII graphics, where it had the uh, the ASCII smiley mm-hmm. face character, and you'd go around a maze or do something, but it, they were all um, looked the same. It all played very different, but because they are all based on ASCII, and I I hadn't realized that that wasn't real graphics. It was just extended text codes. Um, <laughs> but doesn't I that up, sort of yeah, predate shareware, though? Uh, oh, I'm sure it did, but I didn't get them. I didn't know anything about them until they showed up on racks, and you know, it was a dollar for the disc. It was like, okay, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Maybe they weren't shareware. I don't. I don't think they were the, the shareware like Apogee had at the time. Uh, you know, they really revolutionized the shareware where you actually buy the additional chapters. But leading into Apogee, that was the first game I'd played that really made me feel like this computer swing I'd play with. I always wanted a Nintendo as a kid. My mom never bought one. I was. Mm-hmm. I was the wannabe Nintendo kid. None of these PC games felt like Nintendo games. They were games, sure, but they just didn't, you know, no scrolling, no shooting, no jumping on Goombas, none of that stuff. Right. And then when I got the Commander Keen disc, and at the time I didn't realize that it was actually Episode Four. Um, you know, I went back and played the first three episodes, and they were a lot more inferior. But Commander Keen felt like a game you play on a Nintendo. Uh, yeah. This this was a video game. Like, okay, now I can play video games and. And that's where I actually first started then wanting to put money in. It was a CGA computer, had uh, no audio, you know, just the PC speaker. So that's where I got my uh, Sound Blaster 64 was for Commander Keen. Um, there you go. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it hurt my ears on the AC speaker. So hearing it on, uh, you know, that Sound Blaster, 60, or Sound Blaster 16, yeah, you know, it sounded so much better. And then I got my first uh, VGA graphics card because of that. You know, I was playing it in those four, those four colors. <laughs> Then upgrading to VGA for Commander Keen and seeing like how like holy cow there's 16 colors now and it looks so different. You're uh, probably <laughs> the only person I've ever met who uh, upgraded to a proper sound card before upgrading from CGA. <laughs> well, because my eyes didn't hurt looking at the four colors, my ears hurt. I mean, if you if you go back and try to listen to those Commander Keen uh, PC speaker sounds, those oh yeah, it's shit nonstop. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's, uh, like, oh, I couldn't do it. And and again, um, Nintendo. I'm used to you know my friends having games where you hear the the good crisp sounds. So I I needed to get better sound first. And I was a kid, so I mean I was saving lawnmower money and stuff like that. So. Um, and it was yeah, a and, and, monster. And, and another thing about the PC speaker was it had no volume control, at least not what you told me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the volume you were, control if, was the pillow I put on it. <laughs> so exactly, because uh, if you're if you're a kid and you sit around at uh, you know 2 a.m. it's a school night, you're supposed to be asleep and you just want to fucking play a game, and you sit there and go, "Where's where's the sound uh, off? It's either yeah. sound off or full blast." Um, so uh, you know, I, I used to take take off the uh, you know the uh, uh, cabinet and and try to look for a volume knob or something and just you know <laughs> eventually I resorted to just plucking out wires from this uh, speaker thing and then I sort of broke it and yeah. Hardware uh, anecdote is that you could actually add a very simple uh, rheostat as a volume control to PCs and uh, at least in Israel actually a lot of people did that. Um, I think we did as well. So anyone with like rudimentary electronics could. Pull it off, and a lot of people. Oh, that's do. interesting. Well, my dad was an electrical engineer, but I think he purposely did not put in a volume control on our family computer. He wanted to know when you were staying computer. up too late. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and because my, my dad actually, well, let's modded our PC to have a little flip switch so you could actually turn the speaker on or off. Fair enough. Yeah, well, yeah. That, same well, that, that's, yeah, that's good enough. It's annoyance uh, versus responsible parenthood. <laughs> the, the age-old conflict, especially 
for parents of kids growing up in the 80s with early computers. Well, I guess it, it was it'd be the same as if you you know if you were trying to get on get on the VBS late at night and you didn't realize you could turn off the uh, turn off the modem speaker from the init string and you know the handshake oh, yeah. noise was just deafening. <laughs> What's that? No, Dad. I'm just going to sleep. <laughs> I'm not trying to download a picture of Cindy Crawford in her underwear. I promise. Uh, in, in EGA. In EGA. <laughs> Mutant Cindy Crawford. Um, uh, just uh, preempting the uh, first sound card uh, discussion that we're probably going to have. Um, eventually, uh, my dad sort of came around because when I got my first uh, Sound Blaster 16, I think it was, he actually uh, hooked it up to my uh, little 80s Toshiba stereo, uh, and I would, uh, you know, uh, first of all, the, the sound was so much better than anything I could ever imagine. I had these little tiny speakers, of course, and, and they did, okay, now I've got ad-lib sound and I've got digital sound effects. It all sounds very good, but uh, then he wired them up so I could put them into my stereo, and I would actually take my uh, take two chairs and put them on either side of me and just put my speakers, which were like uh, like this, uh, trying to get it into frame here, like really nice, like bookshelf type. Yeah, yeah, and and just just uh, lean them up against the uh, backrest of the chairs on either side of me, and just sit there like these. It, it looked like I was wearing like gigantic headphones. <laughs> <laughs> and he would come into the room and just go, "Oh, uh, my son must be in there somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> amongst amongst the speakers. Well, let's go, let's go into that that talk then, since since trolls brought us there. So for you, the, for you, it was an ad lib. Uh, no, it was it was a Sound Blaster uh, 16, and uh, at that point, uh, I had had my. Uh, I'm not sure what the English uh, thing is. I, I know in okay, th this this sounds like I'm digressing a lot, but in Catholicism, there's something called confirmation, where you're like at, at 13 years old and you become a man, and you have this big party and and, and stuff. Um, we're we're not Catholics or anything, but there's a Danish tradition that around the age of 13, you have this big ass party. Um, and uh, all your friends, and you get these huge ass presents. And my present was a 486 DX2 with 66 Ooh. megahertz and oh. 8 megahertz of RAM. Oh, oh my god, I love awesome this so much. That was my uh, that was my favorite gaming PC. So it's, oh, it's like a Danish bar mitzvah. You got a 486 yeah. for your Danish bar mitzvah. <laughs> kind of, but but with no religious connotation. Well, uh, for some, because uh, you know, some people, it, it is kind of a religious thing, because you know, some school kids get sent off to church uh, in the morning, and they have like two hours of you know church stuff, and stuff. then <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but for atheist kids like me, uh, we would just stay home from school and sleep in, and then we'd have a big ass party anyway. So I saw no reason to get religious just because I wanted a gaming computer, um, <laughs> <laughs> although I would gladly have. Um, but anyway, um, it also had a, a Sound Blaster 16 card, uh, which was amazing, and, and that's what my dad wired up to the speakers, and uh, I remember my dad being a technology nerd, uh, having bought our first computers and such, he also came into the room and started tinkering around with it. And uh, this is going to sound really weird, but the first game we sat around and tried to get running with the sound card and everything was the VGA remake of Leech's Suit Larry 1. <laughs> so there I am playing a soft porn game with my dad, uh, going, uh, wait, that fart sound, was that ad lib or was that sound blast? And we sit there and go, oh, wait, that's a digital sound? That's a not digital Yeah. And and he'd have to explain to me what what a what a lubber was because uh, <laughs> years later I, years later I figure out that it's 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 a racist joke on Aldo's part where it's the uh, immigrant uh, uh, clerk at the uh, convenience store trying to say rubber but it says lubber so for years I went around oh. going oh a lubber oh, right. is that what it is <laughs> huh. yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I figured out what it's supposed to be, um, and, and actually it's embarrassing because it took me years and years and years. I was probably like 16 when I replayed Larry and finally figured it out. Like, oh, I get a lot of this now. <laughs> there was a lot of yeah. that game I didn't get, um, and I was convinced there was a cheat code for turning off the uh, bouncing censored bar when uh, you get with the uh, prostitute at the beginning of the game. There wasn't. Uh, even if there was, it really wouldn't have shown you very much. No. <laughs> but anyway, that was that well, was my audio card. version, perhaps. But <laughs> no, you couldn't so, turn off any version. No. Anyway, it's that was so, my first sound card. And oh, then, uh, then of course yeah. the uh, the tracker music I was doing, I was up to Scream Tracker three at this point and had uh, sixteen channels at all of this going all at the same time, and uh, oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> So, um, Joe, you mentioned uh, CD-ROMs a bit earlier. Uh, you were kind of leading off the question about that, and we sort of digressed and. Oh, so we could the... we could go to CD-ROMs, or we let let's stay on SoundCloud. No, it's it's related, which okay, is sure. exactly why I'm bringing it up. So, go for it. Um, what what happened in my case was actually we uh, I mean my family was uh, anything but wealthy uh, for most of my early uh, early life, and uh, what happened was when I was, I think it was. Nine-ish, nine or ten. My brother had his bar mitzvah, like an actual bar mitzvah, mm -hmm. and uh, you get a big ass party. But more importantly, um, instead of presents, uh, as is very Jewish in tradition, um, you typically just get money, and uh, it piles up, and it can actually be quite a bit of money. So uh, what happened? Sorry, that was uh, yeah, no, it's okay. We get to make those jokes. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, with regards to uh, what my brother did is he bought a 386, and up until that point, and we're talking 1993 here, uh, we had that ancient 8088 clone, uh, which was, you know, it was pretty ancient when we bought it in 89. Um, so he bought a 386, and he used up the rest of the money to actually add a, uh, what was then called the Creative Multimedia Kit. Correct. Uh, which was... As I recall. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very, very early um, kit where you actually got a Sound Blaster Pro uh, 2.0, I think, in our case, a, a single-speed CD-ROM with Caddy, um, which nowadays is unheard of, and uh, a whole bunch of like software and titles and stuff. And that was awesome. Um, and funnily enough, we also sort of uh, got Windows 3... Uh, 3.1, I think, at the time, and a lot of the software uh, was for that, for whatever reason. And uh, one day, I was just uh, basically screwing around with the machine and found out accidentally how to install the sound system drivers on Windows, and uh, suddenly Windows had sound. And that was my first PC sound card, and the first game I played with that sound card was uh, the CD-ROM version of Jones in the Fastlane. Nice. Uh, so, you know, going from playing Jones and Fastlane with uh, friends on a PC speaker who had better computers than we did to playing an actual talky version of Jones and Fastlane with proper, uh, you know, ad-lib uh, music and proper sound effects and digital sounds, that was just, you know, such a quantum leap, um, you know, the memories kind of burned in me. Uh, so that was an awesome machine. I have I have played Jones on the Fast Lane uh, more times than I can remember, and it was always the disc version. I've never played the CD-ROM version. Uh, oh, it's terrific! I, I'm I'm sure it is. A lot of uh, you know Sierra employees uh, lent their voices to that, 
and also oh, their yes. like and, al- and also their likenesses. The uh, um, the guy at the bank, I think, is uh, Mark Crow, the graphics designer from uh, Space Quest. Yeah. So. Makes sense. <laughs> Would you like some thousand all? Uh, I mean, secret sauce with that. <laughs> <laughs> and that game also taught me what garnish means, because every once in a while, if you forget to pay your rent, uh, the, if, if, when you go to Thank work, you. it will go. Your landlord garnished uh, some of your wages. Some of your wages. <laughs> and and here comes yeah. the swear jar. I would just sit there going, "Fuck you, buddy! Don't take." <laughs> Oh, yes. So I learned Garnish and also Endive, actually. I learned what Belgian Endive is from Jones and Fastening. I never played that game until a couple of years ago after I saw Lord Cat play it. Oh, it's fun. Hey, uh, sound card memories, anyone? What was the yeah, first time? A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the first one. The very, very first one. The first. The first mine, one mine, mine was a fart sound in, in Leisha Suit Larry 1, and I will, just, I will remember that till the day I die. Larry rips a fart and he's going, wow, that was an actual fart. And me and my dad would just sit there going, wow, he farted. Uh, so what were yours? very first sound was the Windows 3.1 startup sound, which is actually pathetic, but there you are. No, that's awesome. Ta-da! I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, for me it was, and actually mine's a, a, even a little bit related to, uh, to yours, Trolls. I think I got my first sound card, which was... Uh, I think I, I talked about this on the show once. It was it was called a Sound Wonder, and it was oh, a yeah. it was a Sound Blaster emulated emulator. It, it was you know, kind of a knockoff Sound Blaster card, and I got it on the day of my brother's confirmation. And I'm oh, not sure why they call there is a thing called a confirmation. It's it's the Catholic bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. And, uh, and yeah, so I've, I'm not sure why this, why it worked out this way. I can't believe it was either my brothers or my cousins or something like that. But it was not an event for me. But we we got this thing that day, and all I wanted to do was like not go to the rest of this party. I wanted to go home and install this sound card. And uh, the first game I played on it was probably Wing Commander One. And I think the first memory of sound I have coming out of it was that that Wing Commander One intro where you have like the the, the orchestra and the you know the conductor comes he's like tuk, 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 and you hear the tuk 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 and then it goes the music starts and I was like oh my god <laughs> my my computer shouldn't be able to sound like this and I had a lot of there were a lot of memories like that with regard to Wing Commander for me where my computer shouldn't be able to sound like this my computer shouldn't be able to look like this because the exactly. game looked and sounded so good. Okay, so, well, we actually went from PC Speaker straight to Sound Blaster. I think our first sound card may have been a Sound Blaster 2. Yeah, it was definitely Sound Blaster 2, not a pro. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that in itself was a pretty big leap, because going from the, you know, bleeps and bloops of PC Speaker to actually having music in uh, Lemmings was a pretty big step. Ooh. Oh, yes. Was there digital sound in Lemmings? I can't remember. Yeah, they went... Uh, oh, right. And the explosions when you hit the Armageddon button. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so yeah, there definitely was. That was actually my my first YouTube video was Lemming, so that's why I remember that. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, just to, <laughs> before sure we... the original piece. I wasn't sure if the original PC version had that actually had the uh, oh no voices and you know, whatnot, but uh, now that you mention that, I don't think it did. Well, maybe it didn't, because I know I played the Windows version when I when I played through it, so um, that was my that's my memory of Lemmings. I remember there was this uh, hacker group uh, who made a, uh, a Lemmings parody called Lamers, where <laughs> Lamers. instead of in, instead of saving uh, the Lemmings or the Lamers in this case, uh, your uh, cursor was a crosshair. And every time you click the mouse button, it would just go like a machine gun. And your goal was to just shoot all of their asses before they could reach the exit. They would actually build their own way to the exit, like in Lemmings. And That's I actually thought pretty, pretty that awesome. was a more fun game than the actual Lemmings game. It was like the, yes. the Dungeon Keeper version of Lemmings. You're the bad guy. You're the world trying to kill them. Yes. Exactly. Um, j- just to add an anecdote before we, uh, I don't know. We'll, Wrap up the question, I guess. Um, a, a second distinct memory of sound cards is actually um, moving up to Soundbuster uh, AWE32 in '96, oh, yeah. and that was my yeah. first. That was my first experience with uh, wavetable MIDI of mm-hmm. any sort, and uh, I remember uh, firing up Duke 3D after I first figured out that there is an actual difference in how you configure it. Uh, for uh, general MIDI uh, between the Sound Blaster 16 AWE, because for 16 you wouldn't want general MIDI. Um, and I was so ridiculously blown away but by how much better. I mean, it was the same music. It's the same game that I knew really, really well. I'm just talking title music here, right? The first five seconds. And, uh, yeah, that was also a, a very distinct memory that, uh, that I carry with me because I was just utterly blown away. Oh, yeah, I mean, I totally, totally remember that just because I think I had... I can't remember if I jumped from a 16 to an AWE32 or to an AWE64, but basically... Uh, same thing, really. Yeah, but when that happened, basically, like, to me at that time, it felt like it was real instruments that were playing the music. Like, it didn't sound, like, MIDI to me anymore. I have yeah. a, a, a story to add to that one because I had a Soundblaster 16 for a very, very long time and I actually can't remember what the successor was because I, I kind of latched onto that Soundblaster 16 because, again, delusions of being a musician, uh, I went into a music store and uh, and uh, I had heard, I, I had gotten the seventh guest and we're, we're going to oh. probably get into that when we get to uh, the CD-ROM bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, uh, on on the second CD of the seventh guest, there was an audio track where uh, they would yes. play the uh, game's soundtrack through a Roland sound canvas, and mm-hmm. it just sounded, it just sounded like God was coming out of my speakers. It was like whoa, like a yeah. like a computer can do that. So I went into this uh, re- uh, this music store, and I mean music store like uh, guitars, amps, and stuff like that. And I went, do you guys have a MIDI keyboard and uh, anything that? resembles a Roland sound canvas and the dude behind the counter goes alright here's a MIDI keyboard and we have this uh, uh, daughter board Roland sound canvas daughter board and for those oh. who don't know uh, uh, the, the LAPC awesome. one or whatever yeah no it, it was an no, actual no. Roland uh, sound canvas uh, thing and the daughter board is kind of this mutant add-on that you plug onto the uh, Sound Blaster 16 
Oh, and, wow. uh, and it will actually uh, play Roland uh, Sound Canvas stuff, but it didn't come with all the drivers. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I could, you know, compose music in Musicator using my little MIDI keyboard, and it would sound fantastic. But ever, whenever I tried to boot up like a Sierra game or a LucasArts game, all the uh, you know sound fonts and stuff would uh, would sound completely horrible, because uh, the mm -hmm. Sound Canvas had like a million different sound fonts, uh, you mm -hmm. know, orchestral and, and stuff. But it would only play the general MIDI sound fonts, and it would sound atrocious. Uh, so the only thing that actually sounded good was the seventh guest because it used the standard general MIDI timbers. Right. So I, I and I still have that daughter board lying around here somewhere, and it really does it does look like 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 a like a pop tart sandwich on top of your <laughs> Soundmaster yeah, 16. No, no, that's an awesome. That's uh basically you can hook it up to any um, any contemporary song card with a wavetable header, right. and uh, it'll work. And that's an awesome daughter board. I mean, if I had one or could afford one back in the day, uh, yeah, I would be in bliss. It took me years to uh, come up with an MT32, uh, and that's not even general MIDI per se uh, on eBay. Yeah, so did anyone have, did anyone have an MT32 back in the day? Back in the day, no. Only now. <laughs> no. This Unfortunately, huge whopper no. kind of it, it. It looked like the whopper from War Games, you know, the <laughs> this yeah, huge I mean, VCR-like machine. Overall, I have, a, I have an MT32 and an SC55 downstairs, you know, right now sitting next to each other, and those are my favorite pieces of hardware that I have ever owned in my life. I love those things. <laughs> well, yeah, call me Toast because I'm jelly. <laughs> uh, what, what I wanted to say, by the way, trolls. Yep. Keep yep. uh, kind of criticizing your own musical skills, but from what I've heard, your stuff was actually pretty good, in my opinion. Just saying. Oh, thanks. Oh, th thanks. Thanks a lot. I I did do a a couple of soundtracks for Space Quest fan <laughs> games, uh, which were made in Click and Play, and those are kind of the uh, MIDI stuff that I was doing on the uh, MIDI keyboard, and it was. Yeah, uh, my, my 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 school had like a like a, a proper Roland sound canvas, and I would you know sit in the music room until five o'clock uh, on on school days. So they would just sort of let me into the music room. I don't know. They trusted me apparently, and that's yes. that's when I got the idea. But uh, I'm 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 gonna get myself one of these. Um, but thanks anyway. Uh, for for my money, it sounds horrible. But <laughs> but that's always how these things work. Just to right? be clear, didn't you didn't you always used uh, didn't you also used to go by alchemy? Yep, I've actually got some. Uh, at some point, I I decided to try uh, and actually compose music for real. I went from uh, the tracker to uh, uh, to MIDI stuff, and then I tried combining the two, and then I tried picking up a guitar, and uh, I still have a guitar, and I only had it only has two strings on it because I can't play for shit. So it's, <laughs> it's tuned like the bottom string is tuned to a D instead of an E, and then the uh, second string is tuned to an A. So I can just do power chords and go. Boom, boom, boom. That's as far as I've gotten. Uh, okay. Now I just don't have time to do music. Uh, I, I heard your remix of the Space Quest for uh, Supercomputer Countdown way back, and I actually really like that one. Uh, just saying. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Anyway, Favorite piece of music I have conversation. Uh, oh, as, as far as sound, uh, uh, I, I did a uh, I did a cover once of the Last Ninja Two. Um, Central mm. Park theme for the Commodore 64. If anyone uh, out there is sitting there going, ah, these these losers talking about the Commodore 64 having great sound, all I can hear is bleeps and bloops. Ah, uh, get out the swear jar again. Fuck you, people. <laughs> Lo load up, load up Last Ninja 2. Swear has, jar up. If you've ever, 
if you've ever wanted to hear a, a, an old-style 80s computer rock your socks off, listen to that soundtrack. I still have it on my phone. I listen to it um, all the time. It is great. For those of you listening, uh, listening without video, I'm playing a very one-sided drinking game where every time Troll says the F word, uh, I take a <laughs> drink and suck it. Uh, I think I'm about half bottle in by now. Um, so <laughs> my beer, my beer's there. already empty. So <laughs> get another uh, one. And I don't I have anything to drink. <laughs> I ran That's out of cola right. too. Amira, you you were saying something uh, while uh, Tommy was trying to say something. Oh yeah, I I, I said uh, no disrespect. I uh, like C64 music as well. Oh yeah, um, me too. Obviously, uh, I love yeah, that what, what I've heard what I've heard of it on YouTube and stuff. You've got to appreciate things for what they were and what they were capable of doing. I mean, mm. you know, you would compare it to, to music today, obviously, yeah, it sounds like crap because you know, we couldn't do it. But Oh, and, and it, just, it still has a yeah. style all its own that, uh, that you can appreciate uh, exactly. in, in that sense. Yeah. Um, and and just, just to wrap that uh, thing up, if anyone actually wants to listen to the crap I've done, uh, you can go to alchemydk.bandcamp.com and uh, have a swear jar handy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Fuck. There you go. All right, so let's. Oh, I got two more shit. questions that I want to get through because I think they're interesting. So let's. Uh, we started talking about CD-ROMs a little bit, but let's let's be a little more specific about your first uh, your first CD-ROM game, or the first one that you, you for know, me cared about. Yep. Go ahead. Seventh uh, guest at this way. Seventh guest podcast was one of my uh, my favorites because that was a good memory. I, you know, I had a teacher that taught math and when our school got computers she was just basically forced to teach computer science and knew nothing about it um, and actually went to her house to help her with something with her computer and um, her there's a sexy story in there yeah. somewhere there? <laughs> <laughs> well you'd think there would be but not. she was just a sweet old lady who knew nothing about computers so I helped and her get a computer set up called Mrs. Robinson <laughs> <laughs> and um she had a you know CD-ROM in this computer that she bought, and um, it had come with Seventh Guest. So I fired up you know what is this? Fired up the Seventh Guest game, and I was fascinated. Uh, just the idea of exploring the mansion, you know, the the puzzles weren't they were the roadblock for me to to exploring the mansion. That's what I wanted to see was what looked like. Of course, you know, it was full motion video, but it looked to me like I was you know walking through this mansion. It was real life, right? Yeah, and that's what got me to want to get a CD-ROM. But then the CD-ROM I came, I got came with um, Mist. So, mm-hmm. oh, and I had um, gotten sick where I was uh, bedridden for like two weeks, um, and I laid my PC monitor sideways on my nightstand and played <laughs> Mist with the mouse uh, on my lap, and just that's what I did for the two weeks I was sick. Was just <laughs> laid there with the monitor sideways, not being able to to move, but still played Mist. I loved it. It's actually uh, funny. It, it took me. It actually yeah. took me a really long time to actually play Mist. I didn't play it when it first came out. Just, and my reasoning was dumb because I had a, a bunch of friends, and one guy we knew had a Mac, and all he could talk about was Mist and how awesome Mist was. And so to me, I'm like, a oh, Mist is a Mac game. I don't want to play that. And then later <laughs> on, I played it, and you know, it is what it is. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um uh, I remember getting uh this this is skipping ahead a bit but I remember getting the uh, Space Quest collection in must have been ninety four or five or something the, on CD ROM Blue Box one or whatever or yeah what the, the not the first one on probably the first one on CD actually mm-hmm. uh, the one that had the one through five on it on a single CD and I remember getting and I'm doing air quotes here uh, sick uh, for a couple <laughs> of days uh, playing through that one 
Um, my uh, my first CD-ROM drive was an old clamshell drive. If anyone can remember those, it wasn't like it wasn't like what the what the uh, sorry uh, what Tomer was saying uh, earlier, where um, it, it wasn't the one where you put the CD into this little docking thing and then shove it into the drive. This was one where you would pull the drive out of the uh, cabinet and then it would open up like a clamshell and you would put in the CD and then close the clamshell and then shove it back into the, into the machine. I don't think I've ever I've seen one of those. Oh, I've, I, I've seen one. Weird. They're, they're weird, but they're, yeah. It was weird, and it was it was a single speed drive, and I remember oh, the uh, first the first game I bought this this was with, with my 486 DX6 66 megahertz thing. Uh, the first game I bought was uh, Day of the Tentacle, yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I played I played the disc <laughs> version, and I thought and, and I thought it was so amazing that there were there were voices in the intro and outro, uh, which were like uh, low grade eight bit because it was the disc version, but it had voices, and I thought yeah, wow. And voice acting on on Day of the Tentacle. It was a really really well done. Uh, yeah, Lucas Arts were amazing with that. But the story is that uh, with a single speed drive, Day of the Tentacle ran like shit. It was <laughs> terrible because uh, it it kind of required a double street speed drive. So whenever they would have like animation, like in the intro, uh, the car kind of swerves and they pick up a cow and it goes through a like a fence or something, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it would just stutter. Like the the car would just move like a, a, an increment a second. Uh, so what you're saying is that it looks sort of like Google Hangouts looks now. Yep, exactly. So I really had to save up to get a double speed drive. Uh, and the uh, double speed drive was when uh, you know I really started getting into my whole thing about annoying people online because that's about when the internet got around. This is like 94, 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad got his first modem, of course. Uh, so I would start playing, I would start mail ordering CD-ROMs. And uh, one of the first ones was, of course, there was Day of the Tentacle, and then there was uh, Beneath the Steel Sky and the Space Quest Collection. I ordered those uh, pretty much at the same time, and those, of course, became the obsessions I am now somewhat inf- infamous for. <laughs> so <laughs> the CD-ROM, uh, uh, yeah. CD-ROM course, made you the man you are today. <laughs> uh, yes. And then, of course, the seventh guest. Uh, and and watch and 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 you're absolutely right, Brian. Uh, the puzzles were just sort of cock blocking. Uh, what I really wanted to do, which was to just walk around and look at the FM. Swear box, ahoy! <laughs> oh, cock blocking is a swear word. I'm sorry. Uh, that was debatable. Know. That was debatable. <laughs> yeah. Tomer just oh. wanted to have a drink. <laughs> All right. All right. Shit. Fuck it. Drink. <laughs> there you go. Oh man, I can't pour it fast enough. Come on. <laughs> All right, I'm done. All right, who else got CD-ROM stories? Me? Uh, okay, well, it's actually kind of, again, kind of blurry and kind of interesting at the same time, but I remember the first CD-ROM we got. I, I'm i pretty sure it was a double speed, and the first game that my parents got with it was King's Quest V, actually. <laughs> Ooh, Josh but the thing is, I didn't actually play it at the time. You know why? Because Sierra Games terrified me as a kid. <laughs> it was Cedric, wasn't it? <laughs> well, no, it was just it was primarily just the the fear of dying every five minutes That's and very being reasonable. presented with some five minutes yeah, is also creepy very, music, uh, creepy pictures. <laughs> that that stuff gave me nightmares at the time. I used to watch my mom play it, and it would give me horrible nightmares for uh, several days on end. So I wasn't gonna get anywhere near that myself, but. Uh, I remember not long after that, one Christmas, my parents 
got us a collection of different CD-ROM games, which also included Space Quest 4, which I also didn't play, but also a bunch of different other games uh, that were interesting in their own right. It was kind of a weird mix, because it, it included Battle Chess, of all things. Yay! Awesome game. Mm-hmm. Well, shitty game, but awesome game. Awesome. Uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Shitty game. No awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't play that either, but Battle Chess, you know, I I always loved the original uh, DOS version of Battle Chess just solely for the animations, even if I had no idea how to play it. And the CD-ROM version, you know, was high-res, it had high-quality music and sound effects, so I loved that. This is this is true. The 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 CD-ROM version of Battle Chess actually streams uh, music off uh, Redbook Audio, which means mm-hmm. it, they're just audio tracks on the CD. Yeah, that that was, that was the thing actually that we discovered at the time. You could just put some of these games in a re- regular audio player, and it would still play, you know, music or audio clips from the game on your CD player. We thought that was awesome at the time. Just never play <laughs> track number one. In Battle Chess, you yeah. would you would hear all the noises from the pieces battling with each other on your uh, audio player. It's worth noting that a lot of early CD-ROM versions of games, what they actually took advantage of was the fact that uh, a CD-ROM drive can actually stream audio. It it can basically act as a programmable but regular CD player. So a lot of early CD-ROM versions of games actually just had kind of pre-recorded, possibly enhanced music tracks that would play kind of offloaded off the CPU uh, by the CD-ROM drive itself. And most CD-ROM drives also had uh, digital-to-analog converters that you would plug directly into the mixer on your sound card. Didn't they call that Redbook Audio? Redbook Audio is the format uh, of how audio is laid out on the actual CD. Ah, Uh, So, yes, I mean, it is Redbook Audio, but... What a lot of early games did was take advantage of the fact that CD-ROMs could play Redbook audio independently of what the actual machine is doing, and the game itself was actually a uh, if you know it didn't actually make use of any of the the advantages or potential advantages CD-ROMs had. Um, yeah. it, it was just like, here, here's the same game audio we can play. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it would offload some stuff off of the CPU and possibly give you better quality audio, which was nice. But a lot of other games actually um, did a lot of interesting things with uh, CD-ROM. So, you know, we mentioned the Seventh Guest, and that would actually stream video off of the CD, which was no mean oh, feat back in '93. Revolutionary at the time, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and we have River Assault, which kind of did the same. Uh, but then you had uh, really stupid CD-ROM versions of games like uh, Elite, for instance, which was basically the original version, plus its five or six translations, stuck on a CD-ROM with nothing to kind of differentiate it from the floppy version, which is why we ended up uh, trading it back in for uh, a floppy copy of Laser Squad, which was probably one of the best decisions we ever made. There you go. <laughs> Anecdotes. 
I, I remember from uh, from from Joe's uh, podcast on Loom, which is probably the best uh, comparison here, because I was talking about Day of the Tentacle, and Day of the yes. Tentacle and, uh, and the games that came after that would play uh, speech and stuff off uh, like mm -hmm. digital through the sound card. They would mm -hmm. they would stream uh, the, uh, uh, the the speech and sound effects and such, which was why my computer was lagging so much when I was trying to do that off a single speed drive. However, uh -huh. Loom. And uh, the first Monkey Island game uh, had CD versions as well, but they used Redbook Audio. And Loom is infamous. The CD-ROM version is infamous f because they only had like uh, 60 or 70 uh, minutes of uh, audio available for, because it had to stream off, uh, you know, uncompressed off the CD. So they had to, you know, cut a bunch of dialogue out of the game. And uh, you I know, just want to. <laughs> I, I just want to point out because this is a pet peeve of mine. I think. <laughs> The in part of the infamous is only infamous for people like uh, Anatoly Shushkin, who probably everyone <laughs> in this uh, podcast knows of. He has the this dust, huge dust. issue with the floppy version. Yeah, the dust nostalgic. Uh, he has a huge issue with the floppy version. Uh, well, rather, he prefers the floppy version of Loom. And I agree with some of his uh, uh, insights, but I think actually the CD version of Loom had indeed... Uh, slightly shorter dialogues in some cases, but it was slightly. You know, it was well for most of the game. It was about ninety percent the length of the original, despite all the limitations. And it just, in my opinion, which is completely diametrically opposite to Anatoly's, it actually improves on a lot of things. So uh, the recorded audio is actually really damn good for me. Yep. But it's Gotta a very contested subject. The uh, the uh, absolutely most perfect uh, version of Loom, uh, as Joe also mentioned in his episode FM on Loom, Towns. is of course the FM Towns version, version which yeah. has the uh, enhanced graphics, but none of the uh, none of the uh, condensed dialogue, which was uh, famous famously reduced by uh, famously racist author Orson Scott Card. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so screw the CD-ROM version. <laughs> Hey, you said screw, so it's just homophobic. You can drink, you can drink on that if you want to. America is correct, also homophobic. Yes, yeah, Orson Scott Card is definitely uh, an interesting, uh, uh, <laughs> not in a good way, guy. Right. <laughs> Shall we say? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and anyone the, else have yeah. uh, CD-ROM stories, or? Uh, I have, I have one, yeah. and no one else wants to go first because uh, this is one. This is kind of a pickly one. Sure. Um, we were talking about piracy, right. and uh, uh, back in back in the day, you know, piracy was going over to your friend's house with your uh, disk drive or whatever, and start copying his uh, floppies and such, or uh, meeting up kids in the schoolyard and exchanging floppies. Hey, can I borrow this game and such? Uh, CD-ROM burning was well into the future. Uh, so when uh, game companies started putting out CD-ROM versions of their games in the early 90s, uh, they were they would just take the copy protection out completely. Because because, hey, who's going to copy this? You can't copy this. This is completely impossible. It's 600 megs. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, what uh, what people would do, at least uh, in uh, in Europe, or at least in uh, Denmark, uh, we would get these uh, these big-ass cardboard uh, uh, releases with, which had like uh, 8 or 10 CD-ROMs uh, that my dad would bring home from work. God, I hope his old employee isn't, uh, or employer isn't listening to this. Um, he would bring those home from work, and they would have uh, all of these pirated games where uh, you know the cinematics and the speech had been taken out of them to make them fit on the on the CDs. But uh, they would have like a bunch of games on them. They were they were called Frozen. Uh, the Frozen CDs are in, are famous uh, yeah. in Denmark. That was um, a very, they, I think we, we had something similar to that in the Netherlands called Twilight. 
So, so that was also um, for for the CD-ROM era. Uh, what I remember mostly are uh, you know mail ordering real uh, CD-ROM games, and then also my dad bringing home these frozen CDs every month or so with a bunch of new so games, and you just sit there and go through them. Go frozen was a, actually just a cracking group. It was a brand, I guess you could say. Oh, okay. uh, the terminology normally used is CD-RIPs, and right. uh, in my opinion, that was actually a really bad period, really bad era for PC gaming, because a lot of people, uh, especially from uh, kind of my generation, which is really your generation as well, uh, sort of experienced a lot of these games without video cutscenes, without music, without uh, speech, and a lot of these games don't work as well without those features, so... Yeah, this yeah. is true. But I will say this in, in the defense. I uh, uh, You're absolutely right. If you play like the Orion Conspiracy as a CD rip, uh, at one point the game absolutely breaks because it's supposed to play the cinematic and it never does, and then, then the game just freezes up on you. Um, but I, I always use these CD rips as sort of a, a, a demo thing. Right. Like, I'm, am I actually going to order this game or not? Because usually the rolling demos and the playable demos of the early 90s sucked ass. They were not yes. representative of the games at all. Well, uh, not so the early like, 90s, the mid to late 90s, because the early 90s were mostly shareware, and actually that was possibly the best demo platform for new games. It worked super well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, from 94, 95 or so, CD-RIPs were, were sort of the mainstream of, you know, pirated games, which was the mainstream yeah. of PC gaming for... You know, kids of our give or take age. Yeah, but that was that was a shitty time for PC games, I think, because a lot yeah, of people just missed out on a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, because I remember actually uh, talking about Twilight. On one of them was a game called Time Commando. I'm not sure if anyone here knows about that. I know it's a good. It's one. an adventure game, I think. Right? No, it is. No, it's actually more of a side-scrolling beat 'em up, but with uh, full motion video backgrounds, basically like hmm. pre-rendered. It was made by the same guys that oh, did Little Big Adventure. Yes. Yep. Kind of oh, like yeah, what they did with the CD-RIP version was, okay, because the game, the levels are basically uh, streaming video, is you had the first two levels, they were completely uh, untouched, you know, complete, and then after that, it would constantly loop the same level over and over again oh. to infinity. Oh, wow. Oh, that's not good. So yeah, you I mean, it definitely would... Beat the game. Yeah, it definitely would give you kind of a skewed view of the game, and, you know, if you didn't want to do any more research and figure yeah. out what the game was really like, you'd basically be, oh, this thing is awful. Yeah. I'm going to play it anyway. But I did, I did eventually get a retail copy, get the complete game, so... And it was good. And, and you know, uh, the full motion video background thing was actually kind of fun. Uh, it was it was a full motion video, as you say, but uh, it would only play when the character moved forward. Kind of like uh, like in yeah, Mega Race, exactly. where the entire track is just a full motion video thing, and then you have sprites on top. Yeah. Yeah. So the characters were actually pre-rendered of uh, real-time polygon uh, models. So mm -hmm. that was actually pretty uh, cool um, at the time as well. Very cool. I'm pretty sure this whole technique was sort of pioneered by uh, Rebel Assault back in the day. Oh, God. Um, Rebel Assault. Oh, God. Uh, um, I know this is contested. <laughs> so much pain. Be, uh, <laughs> pain. And so much suffering. And, okay, I, I, I'm just going to lay it out there. This game sucks. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was a shot game. I will, I, will actually say, I will actually say Rebel Assault 2 is a guilty pleasure for me. Because uh, we had the LucasArts Archives Volume 1, which had a sort of special edition of Rebel Assault 1, which was just three levels, which 
I never finished because the game was just. So it's that kind of special. Huh? Yeah, like right. short yeah. but special. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't even get through that because the controls in that game was just horrendous. Oh, it's but painful! So painful. <laughs> years and years later, I got Rebel Assault Two, and it had live actors and awesome cutscenes and all that. And you know, I just loved the shit out of that game. I didn't care it was a sh- kind of a shallow rail shooter. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, lo- I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and you know, as I've said over and over again, and at the time, I thought they were incredible, like amazing, beautiful games, and it didn't really dawn on me that they were the most frustrating, unplayable things in the world. Oh god. Yeah, I say that, but Rebel Assault 2 gave me so much grief as well, piloting the uh, Corellian freighter through the uh, the mines. Oh, yes. God. It wasn't the Millennium Falcon you piloted. It wasn't actually the Millennium. I thought it was the Millennium Falcon. It said on the back of the box that you got the part of the Millennium Falcon, but in the game, actually, it's a different Corellian freighter that you find in a Imperial base. Right, it is yeah, a, so a Corellian freighter. Well. I, I don't know I would, if that's true or not, but it's worth noting that I would expect it to be a Corellian fighter, a freighter that you find in the trash heap of a <laughs> base. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I could never get to the... Like, Rebel Assault 1 was... Uh, how shall I put this? Frustrating enough and basically just bad enough that I would never, ever, ever even consider uh, putting the money down to get Rebel Assault 2. It was just... Uh, <laughs> they caused cause too much pain. Can we interject again? Sorry. But it is <laughs> worth noting, Rebel Assault 2 is very much worth getting for all of the Easter eggs it contains because they yes, are absolutely yes, hilarious. I was just going to say that. Uh, if you put in a cheat code in Rebel Assault 2 and don't actually have to play the game, the, the Easter eggs are fantastic, and the FMV is actually fantastic as well. And the uh, mode that you can... The Mystery Science Theater mode yeah, exactly. of that game is just fantastic. <laughs> all, of, all of the spoken dialogue gets replaced by subtitles, which are just completely nonsensical, but they're absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And you can watch it, and you can you can definitely watch it on YouTube if you don't want to, you know, suffer through playing the game. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a, there's a cheat code that just skips all the actual playable bits. Oh, wonderful! God, I, God, I wish there was the I wish there was a cheat code like that in Seventh Guest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it exists. It's called that. Well, that there is that book which it, which you can. Uh, which gives you a different ending. Most yeah. people don't realize that. <laughs> But you still have to go uh, through okay. the fucking maze. <laughs> okay, A, the F word was said. So yes. there you go. <laughs> and B, I just want to say this out loud, right? The Seventh Guest is not objectively a very good game, but it just got so many things right so much ahead of its time that I can't, no matter how frustrating it gets, no matter how fucked up the... the microphone puzzle can get... Uh, the microphone, the microscope yep. puzzle can get uh, if you have a machine that's any faster than a 386DX. Um, I can't be angry with this game because it was so much ahead of its time. I mean, just... It, it came with this VHS tape of the making of The Seventh Guest, which was just completely and utterly unheard of in, in gaming in general and PC gaming specifically up until that point. I still have that that original package. I still have that VHS tape. I captured it to video ages ago, um, and it's uh, lower quality than what you can find on the internet. So that there is that. But between the actual fact that you could see full screen, full motion video at 
roughly 24 frames per second on your 386 off of a single speed seer on drive. I mean, that thing was just so oh. freaking ahead of its time. The experience oh. of playing it for the first time, it's kind of like going to the movies and seeing Terminator 2. You know, it's an experience oh. that just stays with you. Exactly. Can it's I, the can I jump in? Okay, can I jump in here for just a second? Because, uh, Are you going to say the F word? Because I need to pour more of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Uh, but the, uh, the seventh guest uh, actually cheats. It doesn't play full motion video. It, uh, it puts in a... Uh, and, and, and this story will, will get interesting in a bit. Don't worry. Um, it, it, uh, it just uh, displays a, a static background, like a JPEG, and then just has uh, sprites of the uh, full motion video characters on top of it. Kind of like what Under Killing Moon does, just mm-hmm. has a backdrop, and then the characters uh, are like blue screen out of it. The story here goes that once they were going to do the Eleventh Hour, the sequel to the Seventh Guest, um, they hired this uh, professional uh, movie director, uh, who, uh, yeah, whatever. He 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 turns in the movie that's going to be in the Eleventh Hour, uh, which I dearly want to show Fred. The house is a rapist. Uh, sorry, <laughs> just spoiled the game there. Anyway. Um, that was actually done on real sets with you know real f- uh, full screen full motion video uh, camera pans and zooms and everything like that and uh, um, uh, Graham Devine who was the lead programmer sits down and looks at this and was was thinking oh we can just reuse all the uh, technology from the seventh guest and it's it's just gonna make more money it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be done in six months or whatever he looks at this footage and the first uh, uh, the first screen of it uh, or the first scene of it is this dude riding on his motorcycle and trees are flying past in the background and everything's moving and he's just sitting there going, there is no way in hell my movie uh, engine can run this. We so so the game, dead. We are so, so dead. He has to <laughs> rewrite the entire movie player engine and has to get it running on the systems of, of the time. Uh, so that game basically requires a four-speed CD drive. Um, it was delayed years and years and it runs on Double. DOS... Double okay, but it, was, it it runs like ass on a double speed okay. speed drive. So I'm I'm gonna have to go all pedantic on your ass. Um, <laughs> so first off, it's a double speed C-ROM requirement for uh, right. eleven. And you're right about the story, by the way, because Graham Devine uh, tells it just like that, pretty much on his uh, I don't know if it's blog or dev diary or whatever. Uh, pretty interesting read. Um, there was an interview. Yeah, guess, uh, uh, the thing about the thing about full motion video um, that most people kind of ignore is that full motion video does not necessarily have to be uh, kind of compressed real world video. So in the seventh guest, when you move from room to room or you know anything of the sort, what you get is the whole scene shifts. Um, and that's basically a, a, a slightly different form of video compression, but it's in essence, the same. So it's slightly lower frame rate because that's what Graham Devine uh, could make of it. But right. that was so freaking impressive at the time. I mean, yeah. just moving around the house and seeing, you know, it's true that the videos were kind of uh, mostly static camera angles superimposed on top of uh, 3D rendered uh, backgrounds, but the 3D rendered backgrounds also animated between right. one background and the next. So just to kind of wrap up this whole point, okay? We can discuss the video and be pedantic and technical about it all day, but, um, you know, to hell with it. The music in The Seventh Guest is just mind-blowing for its time. Okay, between The Seventh Guest and Loom, which also came with the 30-minute audio Audio drama, 
still to this day listen to and I still to this day feel is a a milestone in game production values, right? Between these two things, just the the experience of playing the seventh guest for the first time was so much ahead of the curve compared to everything that came out that year, uh, with the possible exception of Doom, which was a completely different experience. So it's not really comparable. It was just mind blowing, and just the intro scene when um, you know the Trilobite logo comes onto the screen, and you get the violins in the background. Just you know, nothing like that existed in gaming up until that point, with the exception of Laserdisc. And let's face it, Laserdisc was shit. Yes, they not just because of the yeah. format, but because of the content. People generated shitty content for Laserdisc. <laughs> so yeah. that, Laserdisc that, and Sega CD. Pardon? Oh, Laserdisc and Sega CD. It was well, kind Sega of. Sega CD was. was Kind of a joke. Um, you, you could say <laughs> CDI or uh, in '94, I think maybe 3DO, which actually had some interesting stuff uh, for it. But I mean, the Seventh Guest, just regardless of what you think of it as a game in its own right, it just kind of forced the entire market to, on the one hand, go through this shitty, you know, we gotta have full motion video phase where every Every, game everyone's a movie director game. now, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. and the the games that came out between uh, say ninety four and ninety five typically had just ridiculously bad video. <laughs> um, and actually I credit Bullfrog a lot. Uh, we mentioned Dungeon Keeper before. I think Dungeon Keeper was one of the first games to actually have uh, worthwhile full motion video as cutscenes. But regardless, um, I mean... Command and Conquer. Command and Conquer would Command be the other, even though I thought it was a shitty game. Uh, and I, I can probably get stoned to death for saying that. But <laughs> that's a, that's a different chat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, it was... A, it was a, a 93 was a really interesting year for PC gaming between, uh, you know, the proliferation of CD-ROMs, the seventh guest, Doom... Um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff just happened in '93, and it was just a, a well, fantastic right. year to be around. Mm-hmm. You're right. It was, it was like, how how can it get any better than this? And it turns out it couldn't. Then then we got yeah. Phantasmagoria, and everything went to shit. And everything went uh-huh. to hell. <laughs> well, but, um, I'm, I'm, it was actually a pretty good game, uh, ironically. No. Uh, well, fair enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I feel like I'm monopolizing the conversation. It's been a while since we've heard from uh, from Brian and uh, Amirio, so. Uh, this is like there listening to a live podcast. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sitting here there's, enjoying There's the actually podcast. a little, little little thing I wanted to say because that to- Tomer, is his name? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's okay. He remind, <laughs> reminded me because he was talking about Seventh Guest and Doom. Okay, you know, 
uh, it wasn't just Sierra that terrified me. There were a lot of things that terrified me as a kid, of course. And you know, I tried to actively avoid anything that I thought was going to be scary. Seventh Guest obviously was one of them because it was, uh, you know, spooky mansion full of ghosts. And I've intentionally. Uh, I remember. <laughs> Okay, but my brother brought it home. One time he borrowed it from a friend of his or whatever. He wanted to try it out because he heard he, it was scary. You know, he was into spooky stuff like that. So I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Afterwards, he was like, "Yeah, uh, nothing to it, just a bunch of ghosts. But, you know, around the same time, I played Doom, and I didn't bat an eye at it. I love Doom. <laughs> I still do. But you know, well, it, 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 it kind of a skewed perspective. Kind of a skewed perspective. Like I wouldn't go anywhere near a Sierra game, but I still play Doom and the like. So that's a bit weird because Doom freaked the hell out of me. Uh, literally, uh, because <laughs> you you literally go to hell. And I've, I've always been very fascinated yeah. by the depictions of hell. And in the third episode, you got the faces coming out of the walls, the bleeding, the oh god. That so, game freaked somehow, the hell I, just, out of me. I just didn't react to that the same way I did to seeing uh, Larry or King Graham get offed. <laughs> like, Doom, you just had a bunch of guns, you had some awesome monsters to fight, and, uh, you know, cool 3D levels to explore. You know, that that's all I cared about. Yeah, and maybe it was that. It was just maybe more a question of presentation. Like, you know, when you die in a Sierra game, you're this character, and, you know, this is you, and you're invested in the character and, and all this stuff. And in Doom, you're just, you know, you're Doom guy, and it doesn't matter. You're freaking Rambo. So, yeah, I guess that might have, might have had something to do with it, because, like I said, it was in Sierra Games the fact that, you know, death scenes were really, uh, you know, presented to you in such an elaborate fashion, like you saw, uh, you know, a little animation for each of them, then you get presented with this, boom, uh, status window with, uh, you know, a little graphic of how you died and scary music and the narrator making fun of you and I was like ah. yeah, exactly I, I, I think the uh, the reason was that in Doom you could just press the space bar you teleport back in and off you go and Sierra games would like parentally berate you oh you stupid idiot why did you mm -hmm. walk off that cliff and you, oh I'm sorry sir well that's like I always hated dying in Fallout because the death screen was like this, <sighs> you know it was awful <laughs> yeah, skeletons so, and yeah, skulls. Comparing Doom to uh, to Sierra Games, which is a, a very weird kind of comparison to me. Like I said, I was a messed up kid. <laughs> I can't explain it. Okay, so so just uh, just putting it out there. Okay, that's also um, a, a first, right? Playing Doom for the first time. Um, but beyond that, um, the, the, the whole thing about dying in Doom is in Doom, the whole action is very visceral, right? You play the Doom guy. I mean, even if it's an anonymous guy and you don't have an emotional connection per se to the character, you're basically living uh, in the skin, skin of the Doom guy. So death sort of comes as no surprise to you if you die in Doom. Right, it's the whole thing is one continuous adrenaline rush. So, if you're in this huge fight and uh, an enemy kills you, you see it coming. Whereas with Sierra, it's like, okay, I was walking walking around, and then I clicked this pixel that looks like every other pixel except it's a little gray, and then I uh, melted or something. Uh, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because you know the, this uh, massive uh, intergalactic beast that spits out acid was waiting for me behind that one specific slightly darker pixel, right? I mean, there's no um, there's no preparation for it. Whereas with Doom, it's a continuum. You know where you're at. If you're gonna die uh, in Doom, you're already in the middle of a very kind of spectacular combat, right? You're all keyed up, you're geared up to it, you know you could die. That's the whole point of the adrenaline, uh, or rather, that's the whole impetus of the adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. So the whole experience with a Sierra game is vastly different. And I think that's actually, um, you know, on the old LucasArts um, kind of uh, design uh, philosophy versus Sierra philosophy debate, I'm squarely with LucasArts on this one because... You know, I love a lot of Sierra games, but the fact that just do any random, trivial, uh, innocuous thing and die five times within one minute on the same freaking screen in the game, you know, you're never really ready for it. You open, in Larry, you open a zipper on the wrong thing, you die. That's right. just and I, I always kind of found that it doesn't, it doesn't really encourage you to explore and to try things because you just figure, well, I guess I'll say my game. Well, it's, it, it certainly didn't do that for me, that's for sure. Right. It's funny, actually, that Tomer should bring up Fate of Atlantis, though, because being a, being a youngster, you know, English was my second language, and I did, uh, wasn't really able to figure out adventure games on my own at the time yet. You know, I uh, mostly played, you know, I loved adventure games, but I couldn't figure them out, so I just used walkthroughs for all of them at the time. But, so, you know, Fate of Atlantis, you know, had a walkthrough for it. And it wasn't until way later that I actually found out you could actually die in that game. So when that first happened, I, th- I had no idea that was actually possible. And I was like, when that happened, oh, my God, LucasArts, you betrayed me. <laughs> I, this only I can die in It's <laughs> one of the rare parts of uh, LucasArts Fair where you can actually die. And, but but in, in, in there, you know... The, the philosophy still stands, it really kind of telegraphs, okay, you are now in a dangerous situation, please be careful, it's like mm-hmm. a fucking box pops up. Um, uh, can, can I, uh, can I like, uh, um, read your notes off, Joe, and, and since, since we're talking about firsts, and mm-hmm. we're talking about, this is kind of, this kind of segues nicely into my first multiplayer experience. Sure, uh, let's, uh, let's do that, that, and then I think we're gonna, we're gonna start wrapping things up a little bit, because we're over our time, but let's do one more story, and then, uh, and then I guess we'll uh, because because uh, basically I just wanted to bring up the null modem cable because uh-huh. uh, <laughs> in the olden days when we had Doom I had my 486 master PC like master race uh, PC and uh, and we still had my dad's uh, 386 PC and every once in a while my uh, my uh, friend from school would come over or just my brother and I would play Doom against each other but we had no uh, hubs we had no uh, uh, network cables so we had the null modem cable. And it was like every time the dude came over and wanted to play Doom, we would have to go in the closet and see where where's the null modem cable. And then <laughs> which one is it? it? Yeah, which one is it? And then hook it up to this uh, this port and then uh, play Doom, obviously. And um, the uh, the the thing was, of course, that uh, the 486 would run Doom in amazing resolution and it would sound great. And uh, every, everyone wanted to play on that machine because the 386 had to run Doom in you know um, uh, less low quality mode. Where the uh, screen, with the I don't know, I don't know what it actually did, but the pixels it's just got to have the resolution, and uh, and and it still kind of chugged along. So you were kind of you were at a disadvantage if you were playing on the 386. And right. the rule around the house was that if you lost a match, 
you'd have to play the next match on the 386. All right, so you trade off. <laughs> yeah, and nobody wanted to play. I famously, I watched my brother uh, uh, against my friend in a Doom 2 deathmatch on the secret level, you know, the the one where the cyber demon shows up, and, yeah, the, the big-ass hull in, in Doom 2. Mm-hmm. And he lost, he was playing on the on the 386, and he lost uh, 50 to minus 4. <laughs> And I was like, "Yo, man, you didn't even get a single shot in." <laughs> that was that was one of the all-time greatest ass whoopings of my day. And then later, uh, later on, I we got very much into because uh, we bought a hub. My dad uh, brought home this uh, hub that you could plug uh, AJ45 cables into. Uh, you know, like they look like uh, little phone plugs, um, so you can plug those into your network card. And then all of a sudden, IPX was a thing, uh, and that. It kind of spiraled into first we would go to uh, my friend's house on every weekend. My brother and I would go and we would play uh, Doom and Quake and Carmageddon, and they would play StarCraft and I would fall asleep. And then that would spiral into us going to LAN parties where there would like be 250 or 300 very very smelly uh, adolescent nerds and a big gym. Um, Holy shit! You actually had LAN parties with like we had LAN parties. That is I don't think yep, I don't think I could find 250 people in my hometown who could s- spell out land party. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, you know Denmark uh, being a very small country, but there there was uh, like a um, yeah. There was like a, a very nice uh, little land, and, and of course I, I got well into the, the dudes who were arranging the lands, so we would have uh, creative competitions, uh, those were always fun, and then every once in a while we would you know, play a game, and everyone was always playing uh, some games, so you could just jump into any Quake game you wanted and get your ass handed to you. So there was a, there was a whole period of time there where I, was, where I would, would go to land parties every weekend or so with my you know, big ass cabinet and uh, such. So that was my multiplaying youth. I just got I'm, to ask, null modem cables uh, were mentioned. Has anyone actually played uh, via parallel cable? No. No, I never yeah, played uh, via parallel cable. I was no, always a modem. I, I was always little. modem. <laughs> yeah, it must be. I have very little multiplayer experience as it is, unfortunately. Hmm. Always really yeah. jealous of the people who could uh, do that sort of thing. For me, uh, it was always one-on-one modem play with with my friends for for multiplayer. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird because uh, for some reason, I, I don't know if it's an Israeli thing or not, but um, between my friends and I, uh, you know, the small circle of people like um, Trolls mentioned 250 people in a LAN party. Uh, I would normally be the one organizing the LAN parties, and we were lucky if we had 20 people. And generally speaking, even, even before it was LAN parties, no one used... Serial cables in Israel. Um, among anyone that I know, we all use parallel cables, and then went straight to ten base T networks with the shitty coax coax cables yeah, yeah. and terminators and all that. Oh, crap. I completely forgot about those. Yeah, we had those to begin with. Yeah. With, with the terminators, every time some dude left the party, everyone else would just scramble to their knees no! and start reconnecting cables. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, God. Hey, I'm was, going home. Everyone the quit their shittiest game. ever. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then at some point I got fed up and scrounged up, scrounged up the money and bought an eight-port 10 base two hub with, uh, you know, basically straight uh, RJ45 connected UDP5 cables. It's like the normal kind of network cables that you that can find. Today, yeah. And uh, I think that increased the frequency of our LAN parties. Uh, about fivefold and decreased the number of issues that we had about fivefold. 
Dead. All dead <laughs> was a huge, yeah. And blood, blood was our favorite. Oh yeah, kind of multiplayer mm-hmm. uh, first-person shooter. We would basically have blood and um, and real tournament and Starcraft parties. But I still wow. prefer blood to any other multiplayer first-person shooter game out there, uh, ever. We were into Amazing. Quake and Heretic and Carmageddon, and people would play Warcraft 2 and Starcraft, and uh, I, uh, I'm, all, I'm terrible at those, so I'm, I'm shutting up. I, I wish I could be bothered to figure out how to get those uh, games running and uh, you know, r- running multiplayer on DOSBox nowadays, because I really wa- want to try that shit out, because I never had the chance back then. Yeah, it's nothing I never actually started to look at. I know one of my friends was starting to look into it at one point, and then I haven't heard about it anymore. So that's that's definitely something to look into and see how that would work. I will say, however, that once internet play, once TCP/IP play uh, came into play, uh, I kind of tuned out because uh, playing over the internet is just not as much fun as being able to sit across from someone and shout at them and throw you know crisps at them. And, uh, you know, yes. just the whole, the whole energy of a room in a LAN is just people shouting at each other and, uh, you know, but, but everyone's a friend, of course. And now we have, you know, uh, things where people, like, uh, like really badger people and dox them and uh, are, are just playing mean to each other. Xbox well, because they're, they they're not humans, right? They're just other... Yeah, exactly. No, it's the same with me. And I guess it's kind of like going to the movies versus watching a movie at home. You know, there's, there's a group experience, and some movies, just like some games, are better suited to that, and others aren't. So. You don't want to watch a movie. Well, the, the advantage of watching movies at home, though, is that people don't uh, shout racist or homophobic <laughs> slurs at you. True. <laughs> True. So as, as someone who likes to have the occasional uh, racist or homophobic slur shouted at me during a, a proper round of a first-person shooter game, <laughs> that's, that's the aspect of a LAN party I'm missing the most. I mean, you diss everyone around you, uh, or you don't, depending on the kind of flavor of player you are, but it's all in good fun. I mean, you can't really call someone an asshole to his face on the other side of the table and get away with it uh, if, you know, you're not having a friendly competition. Exactly. So uh, the, the things trolls describe, which is really just a bunch of... Um, actually, we weren't just dudes, uh, which is pretty cool. We actually had a few uh, women... Um, kind of interspersed throughout our, our LAN parties, even though it was a boys' club, uh, mostly. Um, but just having a bunch of guys just uh, around the table with their machines just yelling obscenities at each other, like, ah, oh, you frag me, you asshole, and, and that sort of thing. There were girls at the LAN parties, too. Yeah, there were there were female gamers back in those days. I mean, it was just it wasn't the the whole media circus that it turned into. It was just like, oh, someone, oh, did you bring your girlfriend? No, I brought my own PC, motherfucker. Uh, so <laughs> that was always yeah, fun getting an ass handed yeah. to you by girls. There we go. Well, and on that note, I guess uh, I guess we should probably wrap things up since we're we're over time. But I'm glad you guys are are, are glad to hang out. So I think that went pretty well. How about you guys? It oh, was yeah. fun. It was amazing fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and tolerating uh, my uh, slurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, you know, it, yeah, it, it was good fun doing this uh, with you guys. Bunch of like-minded, uh, you know, hardcore PC hardcore. gamers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So oh, that's a lot of fun. I think we're we're gonna do another one. I think I said these are gonna do. We'll do these quarterly. So you know, and uh, maybe in the spring, we'll uh, we'll get together. Come up with another uh, another topic to to discuss. Though we kind of still went all over the place, which is which is awesome. So uh, that's really really great. Thanks everyone. Thanks people for listening. Uh, I know a couple people popped in and out, watching here and there. 
So uh, yeah, I guess that's it. We'll kill the broadcast and we'll uh, we'll wrap Wait. up offline. Oh, Froley, you got one more thing. One thing, I yep. think uh, because uh, Brian kind of got shafted during this whole hangout, I think he should be the one to say goodbye. He sure. needs he needs some time. But you, right, Brian, you need to say that like in a deep, uh, sexy voice. Yeah, sign, sign, sign us off, Brian. Brian. Uh, I would say I'll be back next quarter. There you go. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. I've done an episode of the Upper Memory Block hosted by Joe Mastriani um, <laughs> and stuff. And everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right. Here we go. Thanks very much for hosting this, Joe. It was a lot of fun, like I said. Oh, Looking yeah, forward I'm to I'm next time. Uh, thank you so much. It was a blast. Great. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, keep the thanks, podcast guys. up, man. It's fun. Yeah, you rock, sir. Woohoo. Well, thanks, guys, for coming out, and uh, we'll do this again. You must be bored. Maybe we should turn up the speed.
As much as we enjoy seeing you get in trouble, we must warn you that this type of behavior is universally considered either rude or amorous, which could get you either killed or married. Battle control terminated. <laughs> You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity? Or do you die here? Join us.